Hello and welcome to a special edition of Artists on Artists. It's the Glass Tire podcast where we just have great conversations with artists about their work, about what's going on in their world. And today we're in the Denton, Texas studio of artist Annette Lawrence. Annette, welcome to Artists on Artists. Thank you very much. This is a bittersweet conversation because Annette is um, packing up her studio that we're in right now to move. Annette, where are you moving to? I'm moving to uh, Bennington, Vermont to teach at Bennington College for two years. And I'm moving my base to uh, Decatur, Georgia, which is near my sister's place, Jefferson mm. Stone Mountains, outside of Atlanta. The Bennington job was just something... Uh, you know, I was invited to apply for, and it was very attractive because it's just teaching. That's it. It's, I'll be a visitor. I'll work with students directly. I won't have any other responsibilities, and I'll be in beautiful Bennington, Vermont. <laughs> so, there's so many things about that that are attractive. Um, and the move to Decatur is just being closer to family. Yeah. Time when I need to do that. Um, I'm no longer teaching at UNT, so I didn't have any reason to be in Denton, although I was really looking forward to just having a low-key, low-overhead life here. I kind of created this whole thing for myself, and then yeah. you know, life happens. And how, long have you, how long have you been in Denton? 24 years. Well, 25 almost. I moved to Denton from Houston. Mm. Okay. Was, um, it was 1996. I moved to... Houston from Austin. Mm. I only lived there for about four months. And I moved to Austin from Baltimore, where I went to grad school in 1990. Wow. So I've been in Texas for 30 years. And uh, so that's a long time. And I feel really like this is my home and it will always be my home. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your work. Um, Tell me about your decision to become an artist I mean pivot from life as Annette to life as an artist my mom and dad always had my sisters and I in um, extracurricular things and I was taking dance and um, I got self-conscious about my body around the age of 12 and I was looking for an out and there was (laughs) an art class in the same it was like a little institute that had music dance and art Mm. And so I started getting, you know, I would pass the art class to go to the basement where the ballet classes were. And um, I was like, what's down there? You know, just inch my way down the hallway to peek into this room. And once I saw it, I thought, I have to do this. And I managed to get my parents to agree to art lessons rather than ballet. And I thought I was, you know, going to be able to not be on stage or front. like I can kind of hide behind this visual art experience yeah. that I learned quickly that you never get to hide there's no hiding and it's a bigger stage yes an oh even bigger stage amazing I totally got duped but um so from that class it was just a drawing class on I was pretty committed because I got a lot of positive reinforcement and I started taking art in school and yeah. I did a couple of programs that were really great for high school kids. Where they were at um, SUNY state campuses, Fredonia mm-hmm. and Oswego, in upstate New York. Um, Which where, is where this experience was for you, yeah, like I the grew twelve up in year. New York. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those programs were designed to kind of recruit art students. 
and um, it was a month or two, or like, well, three weeks to a month of two studio classes each day, morning and evening, mm. morning and afternoon. So it was kind of the, the, the experience you would have in our, as an art student in college. Yeah. And it worked. I was sold after the first one, and I did another one, and I was even more sold. So the rest of high school was just a holding pattern for me to just go to art school after that. Yeah. And I didn't know what I, I didn't know what being an artist was. I didn't know really anything about the world of studio art. I didn't know anybody who lived in that world. Um, but I just committed to it, and I just thought, whatever that takes, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a similar experience. Around the 12-year-old age, I was uh, studying music. Mm. Um piano lessons and I was always like I was in the church choir I was <laughs> we had uh, uh, at the St. Patrick's High School that I went to I was in the it was called the Glee Club making music around musicians and I didn't really get any um, there's no art no visual art in my life beyond like you know oh Picasso or mm the Mona Lisa, you know, that sort of thing. While I was just working my day job as a delivery driver in Dallas, I stumbled. Uh, my job was... So you, you, were, were, you were a musician all the way into your adulthood. Uh, that's putting it very generously. <laughs> I loved music. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I could sing a little bit. I couldn't really play any instrument with strong confidence a little bit of piano but my job was delivering negatives and prints between a photo lab and the photographers in dfw Uh, the lab was called the color place and i would just walk into these really beautiful studios and be like man I need to, I want to do that. Right. I want to do something like that. And then it actually goes back to watching, what is the movie, Under Fire with Nick Nolte hmm. and Gene Hackman. I don't know if you remember this movie. Yeah. But it was like an, a crazy 80s movie with, where Nick Nolte was uh, a photojournalist. And he made it look so adventurous and uh, dangerous it's like, yeah, maybe one day I'll be a photographer. <laughs> and so that combined with working this job and seeing these photographer studios led me into photography. Uh, I decided to study it. Uh, Tarrant County College here in DFW was really the only place I could afford. Uh, and then I went through that program, but that program introduced me to um, the visual arts because it wasn't only learning how to load film and shoot a camera. It was about the history of photography, which is strongly parallel to the history of uh, modern art and contemporary art. So that was the bug. And then I went to TCU, uh, took my first drawing and painting classes, and just learned a lot about conceptual art, uh, contemporary art, modern art. And that's, that's where the seed was born. So yeah. I, I think that's a testament to an art education um, because I think you can be an artist 
and become an artist without going through any sort of academic experience. True. But I think that academic experience, unless you're sort of an individual learner and you can sort of gravitate towards that stuff yourself, um, it really um, expands the idea of what art can be and what creativity can be and how that can really impact and affect the world around us. I mean, we're looking at serious police reform as a possibility as a result of artists being a part of the struggle to make things happen and to make things right. And those conversations don't happen without people speaking out and as artists, I think we have this um, opportunity to be even louder microphones for um, the, the things that help make the world a better place. And when I say loud microphone, I don't necessarily mean like a 50-foot speaker with the volume up to 10. I mean... Uh, amplifying by uh, simply being engaged with what's happening and right. to your credit um, and as a testament to your engagement with the community uh, you have received the Moss Chumley Award in the past and as that as did you as did I <laughs> but I think it's a uh, it's just sort of recognizing that as beautiful as our studio experiences are and as great as it is to uh, make the kind of works that we want to make, we're not in this uh, bubble and we're not by ourselves. We're part of our where we we're live connected. and where we make, make our work. Right. I think the um, two things that... You, as you're speaking, I thought of, I got a text message yesterday from a friend who saw that there's a Julie Meritu painting on auction, that, and the auction is going to benefit an organization that's working to end mass incarceration. And this, the bidding, the starting bid is like $2.3 million. Yeah. And, and that, she's supporting this cause, you know, with this multi-million dollar painting. It's pretty, and that, yeah. It's pretty exciting. You know? It is. It has real... Life, uh, because it's her work, somebody will pay that. Yes, know? and they will, there may be even like fierce bidding to contribute. Let, <laughs> yeah, so. anyway, yeah, yeah, and that's the that's sort of the the real world cause and effect of uh, being a part of making something happen that's positive and making the world a better place. And that might sound like a Pollyanna lofty uh, concept, but as black artists and living in a world that looks at blackness in, you know, that has such a, a strong consequence right. <laughs> just for being who you you're are. You're criminalized. For yeah. For being in your body. And something that yeah. you can't change, nor should you want to change, nor should you ever change. When I was studying, I think, you know, I realized that 
the way that art is thought of culturally among, say, people of African descent and people from, say, you know, other parts of the world outside of the West, um, is it's connected to everything else. Yeah. And that there's not the, the separation of of art from life is artificial. And so, you know, early as I was developing my own language and and art making, I was responding to things that I saw in the news. And those things are still the same things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like in 19, I guess 92, the Rodney King King thing. thing, yeah. Yeah, so I had a really strong reaction to that. I made work about that directly. And then um, the trial with OJ. Yeah. You know. There's, I, did, I made work directly about that. When churches were burning left and right in 1996, I made a whole big piece about that. And I think that for me, it's, it's, it comes through that kind of work and also just feeling the, not so much a responsibility, but just the need to be connected, to, yeah. to, to want to, um, to be around a cultural experience that reflects me. Yeah, and it's yeah because it's it's family. It's about family, and it's mm-hmm. about helping each other because we recognize that it may not be you or me today, but it could be you or me tomorrow, and uh, it's important to you know be there and and be present, and it's also just really hard to. put blinders on and make art when the world around you is coming at you and you're right you can't just take your hat off and say okay today I'm not an artist today I'm just you know Mm -hmm. or today I'm an artist and nothing else it's always interwoven and yeah also I think like part of my part of my um, inclination to be student community oriented is how you know i'm i'm just it's just reciprocating mm-hmm. you know, i've been taken under the wings of people and so i take people under my wings it's just the same you know yeah. just passing that on and it's just how it just feels very natural to do that and i love that sort of reciprocal um experience because they're two young artists taylor barnes and ari Brill, that you've mentored and they are you know they have practices of their own and they're they're starting out but they're they're in a good place and it's through no small um result of just having someone that uh, looks like them that they can talk to Mm -hmm. and it might it might be a superficial thing or it might be uh sort of a peripheral thing but I I think it's like when I was at TCU I had <laughs> yourself I had myself <laughs> I had to explain myself and uh, I had you know a good working relationship with the artists there and the the professors so how did you what did you do did you find people in the community did you what did you do Oh, man, I think I just went inwards. I think I just tried to problem solve on my own. 
uh, internalize some of the struggles that I was having because I, I sort of moved from photography to um, installation and I think that came from my frustration like hitting a brick wall with photography and saying this can't go any further um, I started a photography collective and I immediately quit because it, <laughs> it was like I don't believe in what I'm doing uh, Hmm. And so, so yeah. did you then like did you like just dig into history? Did you look at did you try to find artists since there were none close to you in person? Did you just dig into books and magazines and I films mean and... there there were glimpses of things. Uh I was fortunate to you know be in Fort Worth near a couple of really great museums and some of that really helped. Uh, the Tuesday night lectures helped, you know. Uh, Absolutely. The Trenton Doyle Hancock had, you remember that retrospective at the old, not yeah. the retrospective, but like the a show. big show yeah. at the old building at the modern. Yeah. That was a profound, like, mind blow for me. I was like, okay, <laughs> this guy's sitting here and, like, pouring a bucket of water over his head and like he's all over these walls and um and he's created an alternate universe yeah that, that he's you know thought of fred wilson mining their museum mm -hmm. uh was a really impactful um exhibition for me mm -hmm. uh so like little things like that started creeping in and getting to know the works of artists in this community and I slowly felt more comfortable making things and diving into the kind of work that I wanted to make but it wasn't until the early 2000s when I when these police killings just started cropping up and just being a big part of recognizing how powerless each news program made me feel but mm -hmm. also how powerful the language of art made me feel that I started to really just dig in and uh, move in that direction. And I think it helped that I was ready to be in that place and, and start looking for solutions with other people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, seeking out communities seeking out black communities to work with and work through some of these things. Mm -hmm. um, like my ARC project in Oak Cliff with uh, the building communities workshop. Just getting to meet those people in the historic 10th Street uh, neighborhood in South Dallas and working on a big project together. That ARC project was like uh, just getting everybody involved and dreaming and hoping, you know, that gentrification would <laughs> stay away. It didn't quite work. I was uh, <laughs> and you can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How, what did you think would happen? Uh, yeah. But it was a good experience because it showed me the possibility of uh, directly working with people and like melding my practice in a way that wasn't only always about making things and putting them on the wall, but about really just combining this idea of living, breathing, being, and then uh, finding ways to connect the two, the, the art, the creativity, the 
desire to be a part of a community and and going from there yeah it's always it always amazes me how how willing people are to participate in your work when you you make it available people are like yeah I want to do that I want to help I want to participate I want to put something into that you know and it's fun and it's um it's very meaningful to and 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 then it sort of like introduces maybe a little seed of like oh art is possible in my life too yeah you know coming late to art and being sort of an out outsider not knowing very much about like you talk about a steep learning curve coming from that uh skeptical uh perspective of someone that didn't grow up in uh art classes and art school i i felt like i could call bullshit on things and look at things uh from a critical distance that once you've drunk the kool-aid it's kind of hard to do so uh, the Kool-Aid in- includes the critical distance. Though. It, it includes like that deep skepticism about what you're actually looking at. It, it's not the Kool-Aid unless it has that in there. Well, yeah, then I think <laughs> the art something world might else. be drinking some, <laughs> something else. Because uh, I think it's hard to have that kind of uh, skepticism be a part of regular conversation because critical discourse is... Uh, few and far between. I think we we accept it in certain things like maybe uh, I don't know maybe movie reviews or music reviews, but not, not in, in art. art. I don't. Oh, that's I mean, interesting. I feel like every time a review that's not a regurgitation of a press, press release. release comes out, it it's controversial. It shouldn't be controversial. It should be. Conversational, conversational. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there it is. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're not disagreeing with something that an artist says doesn't have to spiral into a sort of a negative idea of what the artist is doing. It's, I think, ultimately, it's trying to understand what's happening. And but I, but I also feel like there's nothing but a critical conversation going on all the time. You know, I'm, I'm maybe because I teach. I mean, yeah, that's. that's I spend, you know, most of my days having a critical conversation about yeah. what I was looking at. We need to you know? mic you up for some of those critical <laughs> conversations. And it was always that. It was like, this is just a conversation. Yeah. This thing that I'm looking at makes me ask these questions. You know, it's not, I'm not saying anything more than, yeah. I'm curious about this, this, and this. You know. It's like, so. do it, don't do it, but once you put it in the world, let's talk about it because it's in the world. It's in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like I mean that that's that goes both ways too. Like as a person who makes work, it's like can we actually have a conversation about this? Yeah. You know, and sometimes there's no interest or desire in actually having a conversation. Especially if it's like something that uh, you know, is introducing an idea that is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know. Or introducing an idea that is very personal. Like I think it's a trap for for a work of art to become so sacred that it's unquestioned and I think sometimes the proposal is exactly that mm-hmm. uh, that there's a sacred cow and you're yeah never, like you are never too I have presented this idea and it specifically only engages with point a b and c I that's why I don't like reading 
about like I like reading the wall text for context. I just want to look at something and I want to experience it. I want to be curious about it, and then and then you read the wall. And then maybe yeah, I want to know a little more about it. But if a work hinges on the text that comes with it, then don't show me the work. Just give me the text. <laughs> you know, I'll read the text and have a great understanding、right. of what an artist is saying、uh, verbally and、uh, in written word. But it can't.、Uh, you can't be contingent upon reading the the text to understand the work. So yeah, when I'm in a space. That where I'm supposed to be having a visual experience, and there's too much text.、Mm-hmm. I'm just like I would rather just sit with a book in a comfortable <laughs> chair with a cup of tea than stand here and read all of this. Yeah, and I really tend to not do it. No, I I don't think anyone yeah benefits from that. Anyways, so I I was like you at TCU when I was at the Hartford Art School. It was just me. And、um, yeah. and I sought out the community of other Black students because it was a small university, like maybe fifty Black students out of five thousand students. But I would make sure I was, you know, hanging out with them and partying with them, and、yeah. you know, being a part of the African American Students Association. I did all of that. Then I went to grad school at the Maryland Institute College of Art, where Leslie King Hammond, a Black woman, Dr. Leslie King Hammond, was the dean of graduate studies,、mm. and she was making it her business. To make that program a place where Black students felt welcome and felt like a part of something. Yeah. So there was eight of us. There were eight Black students in the graduate program there, and that was the first time I was ex- I was having the experience of being in a group. You know. Yeah.、Um, and in addition to that, just the population of the students. She and Larry Sims、uh, curated an exhibition called Art as a Verb,、mm. and I was just very fortunate to be in grad school when that. Show was up, and it was、um, performance and installation art by Black artists.、Mm. So the artists were, and I might not remember every single one, but David Hammonds, Adrian Piper, Faith Ringo, Betty Sarr. Wow.、Um, a guy named Charles Abrams.、Um, Senga Nimgudi. Uh, I can't. I can't remember anybody else. But、um, these artists were installing. They were around. They were visiting our studios, and、um, so I felt like you know. Again, I was at the like the way I felt in Houston about being like, at the center of everything, being the community artist collective. Yeah. While I was at at the Maryland Institute College of Art, I was at the center of something also. So just fortunate, just lucky. You know? Man. So I had studio visits with Adrian Piper. Wow. David Hammonds. Wow. With Betty Sarr, you know, as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta just be. So I just felt like I was being like you know touched on the, the <laughs> yeah on both shoulders, you know. Having a diverse group of people that artists can both、uh, learn from, see themselves in, and connect with is vital to whether someone continues making art or not. Acknowledging this need to have someone there, someone that you can bounce ideas off, someone that can see a way into what you're you're experiencing and thinking, and not just dismiss it,、right. and not just look at it as 
the experience of every other student there because it's not the same experience. Right. Right. It doesn't it doesn't mean you have to be coddled or no. treated with special care, but it does mean that you there's some you have to acknowledge that something's missing. Yeah. You can't you know, there is there is something that, that's missing. And to to figure out how to accommodate that thing that's missing is important. Yeah. And I think at UNT um, Ari is the person who kind of came to me. You know, yeah. Taylor saw me and was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's what I would have done if I was a student at UNT, you know. Um, and so I was happy to be there. Yeah. Now Lauren's there. Lauren Cross is there. Yeah. So, Such a great artist. And uh, uh, she started that uh, Women of Color Artist Gallery. That was such... Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's still going, Lauren, and I know that it's, you know out in the interwebs, but it was such a great and powerful space for Fort Worth. Lauren comes from Houston. I know. So all roads lead to Houston. <laughs> all roads lead to Houston. <laughs> I, all roads I'm, lead to Houston in black art. I, I am happy yeah. to be in this new community where uh, I'm learning so much from the artists that are there and making it happen in the black community. And, um, yeah, it's, it's so great to, I, to be that close. I honestly didn't. I was resistant to the idea of living in Houston because I'm an East Coast person. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to go all the way to Texas to live in a city. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and it was the best thing that ever happened. Um, Therein lies the uh, uh, lesson. Right, the prejudice of being an East Coast person. <laughs> I will admit I mean, well, I, I don't know. It's like Texas was not on my radar at all until I was at Micah and there were people from Texas there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll look at that. You know, and I want to Everywhere also, you go, there are people from Texas there. True. I think Micah does a good deal of recruiting yeah. in Texas. But also, um, you know, beyond those th that show that I mentioned, I also studied with Robert Storr at Micah. Oh, he my God. Teachers. Yeah. And, um, uh, a Sanders. giant of criticism. Right, Raymond Sanders, a painter. I think he taught a class, like that. I was in a seminar. So, so it's not a mystery so. that you you so no are as like awesome <laughs> as you are. It All comes from kind of comes from that energy. Yeah. 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 So again, also think just timing and good fortune is part of that. But then using it, like I moved to Texas, I knew I had um, one person's phone number in Austin. Wow. And I had applied for the the uh, Texas Commission on the Arts Artists in Residence thing, and Michelle Barnes chose me. Wow! And that started everything. You know, that's the the root of. I think these my 30 next years, my next know. conversation is going to be with Michelle Barnes. <laughs> uh, yes, you must talk to Michelle. Barnes. Yeah. All right. Well, what else? Um. Um. I think I think it's. I think for, for younger artists, for black artists, and for anybody, seeking out your, you know, people who you need to um, uh, be in touch with in order to feel like, you know, you can progress with your work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I would say, I'm thinking in percentages, like, probably 60% in your studio... Twenty percent talking to people, 
I would say like thirty percent talking to people. Thirty, and then and then ten percent thinking about just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's the thing. It's uh, there's some initiative that has to come from the artist. You have to, even if you don't see any kind of um, place that that looks like you or resonates with you, you have to, you have to. If you're going to be an artist, you have to be a part of the community of artists that exist, and in that community, you have to find the people that can uh, help you on that path to feel a sense of uh, like purpose and a, a sense of belonging. But then you also have to support the, the other artists that are in that because I think just right. by supporting your fellow artists, uh, you sometimes get these opportunities that seem like they fell out of nowhere, but... It's because you've been you're, around. you're around and you're supporting yeah. our daughters. You're not like out there saying, look at me, look at me. Yeah. You're out there saying, I'm here to look at what you're doing. And then invariably someone says, oh, by the way, what, what do you, you do? <laughs> and then you say, oh, I do this thing. And then right. it, it, it may happen from there. But from a sincere place of wanting to connect with other artists, because I think artists have a strong voice and a strong calling to help make the world better and I, I can't put it any other way it's creativity is maybe a human thing one of the things that really define us as human beings and I think it's with that comes the the responsibility of using that superpower to <laughs> to make the world better right. and we're nothing but a story it's yeah. all just a story you know and how you what who goes, who's part of your story how you're part of other people's story and how you're telling that story i want to just say you know how how i got from how i got from houston to dallas yeah was through tally dunn's gallery um but before it was tally dunn's gallery Lisa Brown and Tally Dunn worked for Gerald Peters Gallery. Mm. And um, Tally saw my work uh, at the CAM in Houston. She and Sue Graves, Sue Graves was mentoring Tally, um, came to the show. At, it was called 3D Rupture. As mm. uh, a group show? Joe Hobble was in it, Sharon Inglestain, myself, and... Uh, I can't think of his name. <laughs> and the piece that... that um, was there was was it said they must don't know who we are. It's mm. like a rock piece on the floor that now the modern art, the um, the Museum of Fine Arts owns in Houston. Nice. But um, so from from Tally seeing that piece, she she was just getting started as a gallerist. I was just getting started as an artist. Our careers kind of grew together. Yeah. For like eighteen years. Wow. Um, then we 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 went our separate ways, and I now am showing with with Nancy Whitenick. At the Conduit. At the Conduit Gallery, which the, um, you know, I always saw Nancy around, like in, in the Dallas, you know, the, what do you call it? Just the Dallas art sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy would be at theater things and at films and at lectures and things. So I, uh, when it was time to switch galleries and she was interested in working with me, it was a very easy decision to make. And that's such a great relationship to Nancy, man. She is 
another great person to talk to. I'm making a list of the cool people in Texas art to have conversations with. And Nancy is one of those great connectors and great community. I actually had my first show in Dallas um, in the project space at the Conduit. Which I remember. Yeah. I remember that show. (laughs) Machine Time. It was amazing. Thank you. I, (laughs) I still like... I was like, you had one of those doors. I did. A dark room door. Do you still have it? I know. Uh, (laughs) I got rid of that in the move. Uh, Yeah, there's nowhere to put that thing anymore. Um, But yeah, that show uh, deals with the idea of time and marking time. I recognize some of that idea of marking time in your work. And uh, when you had an exhibition at the UNT on the Square and showed just sort of the history of your work, we had a conversation back then about how time and science fiction and all these themes emerged in both our works. And Mm -hmm. that was a great conversation. But uh, particularly how you sort of create these symbols and images and how you manipulate time in your work versus how I manipulate time in my work. I would say it's probably the most present theme in the work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just everything I make is about time somehow. Yeah. And it could be about a lot of other things in particular, but time is kind of the thing that's sort of the thread through all of the years of making things. Yeah. And... You've worked with, so you worked with Tally Den, the Conduit Gallery, and um, community spaces. Like, you've had shows at the 500X Gallery. I right? have had work and shows there. But you've had work and yeah. shows at the right. 500X. And, I've, you know, my, our, our students at UNT were, are, have always been really active in 500X, so mm-hmm. I've supported lots of exhibitions there, and, you know, it just feels like a part of the fabric that yeah. you know, makes Dallas interesting. And I don't know what's happening with it right now. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's they, they have a new space. It's the history of 500X, though, from way back in the 70s, I think is when it started. Mm-hmm. Um, with Tom Orr. Tom Orr and Francis and Bagley, Bagley and Joe Havel. Yeah. I remember him telling me he was part of 500X when I lived in Houston. Yeah. Um, Vincent Falsetta, who we've already mentioned, yeah. was active back in the day. Um, I think I still have a poster. I went to an estate sale and I saw this 500X poster from, I think it was like 77 or 78, whatever, like the first year, the second year. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, it had all those names on it. Right. I thought so that was the pretty history crazy. of Dallas artists is, yeah. is connected to that place. Yeah. What a um, great institution. It's true. Um, and then there's, you know, curatorial folks have moved through the, the Dallas Museum and, and I worked very closely with Charlie Wiley when I had an exhibition there mm. and Suzanne Weaver who is now just retired yeah. from the museum in I just met Susan Weaver uh, last year yeah and yeah what a yeah she, that the show that you were part of yeah. at uh, the Sarma, yeah the abstract painting show was a great show Right. So it's funny how, I mean, she was here and then she left and she came back. And I worked with her back in the day when she was here at wow. the DMA and now, you know, at, at the San Antonio Museum of Art. And now she's retiring. So yeah. it's been a really nice arc of, 
um, working with her, and at Carlazzi in Austin mm. at the um, Blanton. She's retired now also. Um, I was I participated in very early art pace um, exhibition in the Hudson showroom when it was just new, like 1995. Wow. Art pace was just getting off the ground. And, um, what a great history. Art pace was alive and doing things. Yeah. It's, I mean, living somewhere for 30 years, it seems... <laughs> I could just rattle off names for all day long. And from, you know, I mean, folks were in deep in their careers already when I arrived mm -hmm. and have since kind of like stopped doing things like Clint Willar, who is, you know, no longer with us. Away, yeah. But he was really instrumental, I think. I had a show in Galveston. Yeah. Um, and, and just like if he thought you were good, <laughs> told other people. <laughs> that's the kind of people and we mean. Yeah, that that made a difference. Yeah. Also, I want to mention Benito Huerta here at UT Arlington. Yes. And he and I were on the board of the Lawndale Art Center in Houston before we both got jobs in this this part of the state. And, yeah. And came, I came first and then he came the next year. All these great Houston people. Mm -hmm. The state of Texas acts in this way that I think... I don't know if all states function like this, but all the cities in Houston, I mean, sorry, in Texas are connected to each other, especially yeah. in the art community. It's, I remember when I helped curate the or just select jury, the Texas Biennial, a few biennials back. Which you're and now a part of in the next iteration. Exactly. In, yeah. Coming up. But there was a conversation about what Texas art is and how Texas art functions. And I... I you know, I said then and still think that you move around when you're a Texas artist. You show in all the cities. Because we're so huge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's something... I mean, each each city has its own kind of character, but the art seems to move. Yeah. You know, so. What a great legacy of artists. And speaking of that, you are also one of the Texas Artists of the Year. This Texas, year, Texas State Artist. Texas State Two Artist. Days. Congratulations! That's no, that's a great. <laughs> what an honor! I mean, uh, to be recognized by your peers and by the community where you make work. Your work travels beyond Texas, but to be recognized in Texas for what you're doing is it is a great honor. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's and nice. now you're leaving us. Exactly. <laughs> it's nice as a thing as I'm leaving, but you know, I'll be back and around. I'm not gonna be gone forever, but yeah. I'm um I'll be residing elsewhere, but I'll still always be connected to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Annette Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us on Artist on Artist. And uh safe travels and we have a place to stay in um, Vermont. And in Vermont. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.